It is so good to see you in the flesh, um, in person, and to hear your voices, and to pray, and to sing with you. It really is. It's so good to see you. Uh, no matter where you find yourself tonight, no matter what you've done, no matter what you believe, we want you to feel welcome in RUF. Um, whether this is your first time being at an RUF large group, or RUF um, is an old group for you, and you've been around a long time. It's your senior year, and you've been around since freshman year. We want you to feel welcome. RUF stands for Reformed University Fellowship, and we're one of the many campus ministries on campus trying to walk alongside you during your formative years of college to help you grow in your faith. And more fundamentally, though, we're, we're trying to figure out what it means to love God and love others and love Wofford, but it's out of the reality and the fundamental claim that in the person and work of Jesus Christ, God loves us. Of course, we want to love God and love others and love Wofford. But it's out of this, the overflow of getting caught up in God's love for us in Jesus Christ. And so this, this semester, here's what we've been doing. We've been going through an assortment of psalms. And they're called the Psalms of Ascent. It's Psalm 120 to 134. There are 150 psalms. You might know the psalms are right in the middle of your Bible. The poems and prayers of God's people in the Old Testament. Israel it was their hymnal. And like a hymnal, there are all kinds of, uh, of songs. There are all kinds of like genres of songs. It's like a, think of a country music record, right? You have your breakup song. You have like the drunk song, basically. <laughs> like you have all kinds of different songs. Like, okay, check, that's a country album. The Psalter, the Psalms, 150, has all kinds of different psalms. Lament psalms, praise psalms, psalms that celebrate God's faithfulness, celebrate God's law, wisdom psalms. Royal songs that anticipate the royal kingship of David and points to the greater king in Jesus Christ. All kinds of psalms. The ones that we're talking about are the psalms of ascent. They're called that because God's people in the Old Testament would get together and they would go to Jerusalem and they would do this hiking trip up a mountain and they would sing while they walk. They were on the hiking trip and they would sing. This was their playlist. They would sing these psalms to get themselves ready to worship when they would get to the temple in Jerusalem. And so the image that I want in your heads this semester, um, since we're about halfway there, and if this is your first time with us this semester, is this image of the Christian life as a road trip. Not an overnight errand or like a quick errand, not a quick getaway, but an, like a, a lifelong journey on the road with Jesus. That's the fundamental like image of the Christian life in the scriptures. And the Psalms of Ascent really get at that because they were on their own journey singing these. And tonight we're going to look at Psalm 125. If you have your handout, if you'll go ahead and turn there. So while you're getting oriented there, I am going through the office yet again. It's true. And over the weekend, I was watching some old episodes with my father-in-law who was in town helping us out. Um, with stuff around the house, and I was out of town last week. They were helping with our new daughter, Annie, and um, we were watching these old episodes, and I caught something new about Michael Scott that I had not yet realized about him, and it's this. Michael is very moody. Michael is extremely moody, and Michael's moods depend on all kinds of things, but what I noticed is one thing typically drives Michael's moods, and it's this the approval and affection of others, the approval and affection of others. And so when Jim and Pam are laughing at the jokes that he has, he's very content. When everyone's jiving in his family that is Dunder Mifflin 
in this perfect work environment that he wants. He's fine. He's content. But when Stanley and Phyllis and Angela are roasting him, making fun of his leadership style, he's just undone. And he makes the entire work environment miserable because he is miserable. And one of the tropes of the show, as you know, if you've seen it, Pam knows Michael so well and what like gets on under his skin and knows how to like soften the blows. And well, when Michael goes into this zone, here's what he needs and the kind of space that he needs. So Michael is completely undone by when he doesn't get the approval of others. And what I thought about when I was watching this with my father-in-law, I can relate to Michael in so many ways. Um, that was the first thing. Second was this life in a fallen world is, in, is unstable Life in a fallen world is unstable. It's a lighthearted um, illustration always from the office, but I think it really does get at this reality that life in a fallen world is like wild. It's, it's, it's the Wild West. It really is. The virus gets better and then it gets worse. You can have family members live to 100 years old, and then you can get terminal illness, kill one of your family members who you love before they're 40. You never know what's going to happen in a fallen world. You get approved by some corners of campus and rejected by others. Some professors really love you and you're like the person in the class and other professors like you just don't even want to make eye contact with them because they have got your number and you don't know what you did to make them hate you so much, but they just do. Life in a fallen world is so unpredictable. And then there's our affections and our emotions I think one of the strengths of Sammy's talk with us on anxiety and depression uh, two or three weeks ago, which is like we wake up and feel so out of control emotionally. And as like all the personality types that I take, I'm a high feeler. And so I'm very much driven by my emotions of the day. I just am way more than Ivy. Um, Ivy's so much more stable than me. Um, And so just emotionally, circumstantially, economically, racially, politically, we're all over the place. It's wild. Psalm 125 wants us to be stable. Psalm 125 is about stability. That's what we're going to talk about. Psalm 125 is about stability. I'm going to read the passage and we're going to walk through it. Y'all, this is God's word that I'm going to read. And he's spoken to us. He's spoken to us not to give us a theology exam to ace. It's not Bible knowledge. He hasn't spoken to us to give us rules to follow. This is not moralistic, legalistic stuff. He's spoken to you because he wants to commune with you, because he loves you. Those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which cannot be moved, but abides forever. As the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people from this time forth and forevermore. For the scepter of wickedness shall not rest on the land allotted to the righteous, lest the righteous stretch out their hands to do wrong. Do good, O Lord, to those who are good and to those who are upright in their hearts. But those who turn aside to their crooked ways, the Lord will lead away with evildoers. Peace be upon Israel. Briefly pray. Lord, guide this time. Teach us by your spirit. Amen. All right, here's here's our roadmap. Uh, No no pun intended. Um, But our game plan is this. 
Psalm 125 is about stability, and we see this in three ways for the people of God. The people of God on the road with Jesus are sturdy for these reasons. Number one is that they trust in God. Number two, they're guarded by God. Number three, they're guided by God. They trust in God. They're guarded by God, protected by God. And then they're guided. He's the guide. They're guided by God. Okay, let's do the first one, trusting in God. Look at verse one again. I do want the text in front of you if you have it. The psalmist is essentially saying they are sturdy and stable on this road following God because they trust in, they trust in him and not themselves, not their resources, not their affections, not their circumstances. And he's using the imagery and the language and the geography of Zion basically to say, they're stable. They cannot be moved. Why? Because geographically speaking, Zion was this city that was surrounded by mountains. And so just looking at it, bird's eye view, it was surrounded and protected by mountains. It's not going anywhere geographically. That's why he's using that. And so rather than trusting in our obedience and our pious whatever, Bible reading plans and mission trips, whatever, whatever gets us fired up spiritually in the, the spiritual fads of the day, We trust in God. Rather than putting our trust in a political party or family members or our GPAs or our social status and what we wear and how we talk and our reputation and how well or bad the semester is going, and like Michael, whether we have the approval and affection of others who we're trying to woo, we trust in God who does not change. And so that's why we're stable. Because many of us walk around in the world like the father and son in the Cormac McCarthy story, The Road, if you've seen the movie or read the novel. Very, very, like, grim story. It's father and son find themselves in this post-apocalyptic wasteland, and they wake up, and they experience insecurity and fear. They're always having to look over their shoulder. They don't know where the next meal is going to come from, if they're going to be able to find food, who they're going to run into that might want to steal from them or kill them. Security and fear and scarcity like follow them around everywhere they go. It's a powerful story. And many of us live like this, like looking over our shoulders out of this posture of spiritual and emotional insecurity. Do you feel like, and I mean that I'm using that term on purpose because it's not confident. Like, is he with me? If I continue in this or that behavior or because I'm still struggling with this or that behavior and thought pattern and bad habit and coping mechanism or this or that abuse that I've experienced in a wound from my childhood, it's still like such a part. Is he with me still? So this, this tiptoe looking over your shoulder, spiritual insecurity, that's the wasteland spiritually. It really is. And we live like this, but when we follow Jesus, we're saying we're putting our trust in him because he's stable, because he doesn't change. The, the New Testament, the, the writer of Hebrews essentially says, I'm, I'm certain this is verbatim, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. We're going to talk more about that later. In the words of Jesus himself in John 15, when you trust in Jesus, you abide in Jesus. Great paraphrase of abide. I've said this before. I'll say it tonight so we don't say abide anymore. It's not a verb we use a lot. Make your home with Jesus. If you abide in someone or something, you're making your home there. 
Okay? You make your home with Jesus. Psalm 1 says those who trust in God are like a tree. They're like trees planted by streams of water that's always growing and bearing fruit. It's not going to move. And those who don't follow God are like wind or like chaff that the wind drives away. It's basically like really fine parts of grain. The wind, if it's windy, you're going to get kind of thrown all over the place. But you're sturdy in Jesus. I remember in high school, a lot of y'all know this about my story. Um, My emotional state in high school depended on one thing and one thing alone. And it was how I played in my last basketball game, period. That was it. If I played well, whatever well was, um, I was content. If I played poorly, whatever poor was to me that day or whatever poor was to the coach, I was utterly undone. I quit all other sports. AAU basketball all year round was going to try to play in college. It was everything to me. And y'all, listen, I was exhausted by this emotional roller coaster that was like basketball and everything that came with that. It controlled the way that I thought about school. It controlled the way that I thought about friendships. It controlled the way that I just thought about the high school season in general. It was solely dependent upon how I was doing and my performance. So then I tore my Achilles tendon going into my senior year and the little recruiting that was happening with me went out the window and it was ripped away from me. Then I started reading all these like weird New Testament passages about Jesus never changing and his mercy not is being new every morning, not just some mornings, not occasional mercy, but like everyday limitless mercy that I heard in Sunday school but didn't believe any of it until college. And I was so drawn to Jesus's consistency because I had experienced so much instability. I won't even get into my like, you know, parents divorced at 13. My home life was unstable. On the court was unstable. It was all chaotic. And Jesus, according to the New Testament, everywhere I was looking, he doesn't move. He zoomed in on me and would not take his eyes off. And my life changed. It really changed when I came to terms with that. Because the Bible says, y'all, that God's mercy doesn't change. It is noon every, every morning. It doesn't run out. It's not occasional. And that's our stability. Christians are stable because Jesus is stable. So we trust in God. We also are guarded by God. Let's do the second one. The Christian life is also stable because we're guarded by God, not just because we trust in God. Look at verse 2. As the mountains, here's the geography again, as the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people from this time forth and forevermore. God protects us. God protects us. He guards us. Y'all know in Psalm 23, if you're familiar with this psalm, maybe the most popular psalm, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He goes on. One of his lines, he says, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Y'all, those were weapons. The rod and the staff are weapons for the shepherd. The shepherd would use those weapons on anyone and anything that would threaten the health and the life of his sheep and his flock. Jesus in John 10 says, I'm the good shepherd. In other words, everything that you see the shepherd doing in Psalm 23, that's what I do with my people now. And that's how what he does with you. One of my favorite um, things that I, 
I love this so much. One of my friends, another campus minister, says that Jesus is like an older brother who hears about a bully bullying his younger brother or younger sister, and he goes to take care of it on their behalf. And he goes and he's on the loose, zooming in on whoever is bullying his people, his children. I think that's Psalm 23. (laughs) I actually think there's a lot to that. And um, I was out of town last week with some of my best friends, and one guy in particular I love, his name is Danny RUF campus minister at the University of Wisconsin. He played college football, just this commanding presence. Um, He's a a very tall wide receiver. And he's this really interesting mix, Danny is, of commanding physical presence. He also is going to like go get a PhD in New Testament, so he's smarter than everyone else. He's more athletic than everyone else. Before he got married in seminary, like every girl had a crush on him. And he's just like one of those guys. And I was talking with Danny last week, And there were 10 of us there, and we were just reflecting on the year and our friendships together. And this was one of the themes about Danny. Some of it's his size, but he's also the most loyal out of all of us. Basically, like, when you're in Danny's presence, you just feel like if something goes down, Danny's going to take care of it. Like, he's just going to take care of it. If something goes wrong in my life, if someone wounds me or I feel beat up by life in a fallen world— Danny is going to like spiritually and emotionally come on and be like, let's go do this. He has this protective older brother presence in our group of friends and certainly in my life. And I've been reflecting on that. And here's why I think it's powerful in our friendship. I think Danny, in his protective love of those around him, his physical presence definitely helps because of how big of a dude he is. I think he's embodying the protective, shepherding love of Jesus. And why, that's why people are so drawn to Danny. His students feel that way about him. His family feels that way about him. There's something extremely compelling about it. Um, I, I hope you know um, that if you have a speck of faith in Jesus, that you are that protected. You are that guarded. Um, Christians following Jesus, they trust that God has them, and that he'll never let them go. Um, the prayer of St. Patrick, yes, it's the guy who um, St. Patrick's Day uh, is after. He has this beautiful prayer, and this is what he says. Christ, shield me today against wounding. Then he says, Christ with me, Christ before me, Christ behind me, Christ in me, Christ beneath me, Christ above me, Christ on my right. Christ on my left, Christ when I lie down, Christ when I sit down, utterly surrounded by the presence of Jesus. Um, I, my, my God tells me that y'all need someone to say this to you like in person and not over Zoom. No matter where you go, Jesus is going to protect you. No matter what happens this semester, Jesus is going to protect you. No matter what happens tomorrow or tonight, Jesus is going to protect you. No matter what is going to happen this summer, because I know y'all Wofford folks, y'all plan for the summer right now. It's on your mind like right now. I don't have that, yeah. He's going to protect you. He loves you. 
He's with you. He's fighting for you. He really is behind the scenes in ways you don't even know. We're also guided by God. He's our guide. Let's do the third one, okay? Moving on. The Christian way is stable because he's our guide. Look at verse 4. Essentially, in verse 4 and 5, here's the deal. It's kind of like Psalm 1 does this. You have righteous living and wicked living. That's the contrast. And wicked living is just like, here's life away from God. Here's life with God. Stable, righteous living, the way that you are meant to live as an image bearer of God. If you want to reject that, here's the other way of living. That's verse 4 and 5. And so what the psalmist is wanting us to get at is that guided by God, we walk like he walks. We talk like he talks. We listen like he listens. He's the guide. We all have guides. We all have destinations. We all have a map of like whatever the good life destination we want. That can be reputation. That could be job. That could be pre-med. Whatever it is, right? It could be really good things. Usually terrible saviors but good things nonetheless. We all have guides. And so, but we, we imitate him. We imitate him as our guide. What he says goes, where he goes, the kind of people he interacts with, that's who we interact with. While we're on the road with him, he'll stop and see this like basically prostitute woman of Samaria. That's where we go in Spartanburg, right? That's where we go at Wofford. We go to the people that he goes to. We speak to them like he speaks. We forgive like he forgives. We have patience with our annoying family members because he has had patience with us, right? He's our guide. Then you see the fruit of the Spirit as well in following Jesus because Jesus himself embodied this. Jesus always embodied whatever you see in the, good, in the Old Testament. That's kind of a tangent. If you want to be a good reader of the Scriptures... Everything Israel was called to do in terms of obedience to God, Jesus did it. He's the prophet of the Old Testament. He's the king of the Old Testament. He's the priest of the Old Testament. He did it all. So he did Psalm 125. And you see it in the fruit of the Spirit in righteous living, love rather than hate. Think about Jesus' life and how, what it would it look like for us to follow this way. Joy rather than cynicism. Patience rather rather than impatience, kindness rather than anger, goodness rather than corruption, self-control rather than this like angsty, frenzied, impulsive, erratic way of moving around the world while you're just like constantly reacting to things based on how you feel or what's annoying to you or what's compelling to you. As Christians, our lives end up taking the shape of Jesus's life of his words, of his actions. Matthew 11, when Jesus says it himself, whenever he says, come to me, all here are weary, I'll give you rest, he goes on this rant about, all right, what would it look like for you to learn from me? And there's a great paraphrase translation from Eugene Peterson. It's in your handout. I want you all to look at this. If you all hear anything, I love this so much. This paraphrase is so beautiful to me. And I also, I want you all, I'm going to preface this. Um, This sounds like a really free life, the way that Jesus talks here. This doesn't sound like drudgery or your freedom is being like. You're not caged down. Okay, walk with me and work with me, Jesus says. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn how to live freely and lightly. 
He's the guide. We keep company with him. We walk as he walks, work as he works. He knows the way. You all, this is so challenging for us on a number of levels. I, I don't even have to tell you this, but I, I'm, gonna, I'm going to, um, since you asked. Um, we live in an age characterized by self-actualization and individuality and autonomy. Like, and self-actualization is kind of the goal on your own terms, on my own terms. And so we really kind of one of the goals in life in the West and I think in America and maybe even the church in the South is really for you to look at every square inch of your life and be like, I got this. I heard that's kind of a thing at Wofford sometimes as well. I got this. We want to be able to say, I got this. And essentially, inversely, I don't need help. I don't need a God. I got my own God. I'm the God. But when you sign up to follow Jesus, you are, you are fundamentally saying, I don't got this. Like, I need help. I need another God. I can't do this on my own. I don't want to trust in myself. I, I don't want to. I can't protect myself. I can't guard myself. And I can't guide myself. All of this is about dependence on Jesus. That's why it's stable. If y'all have seen any of the Star Wars movies or Mandalorian right now, well, that's, who knows, there may be, maybe y'all Star Wars folks know, maybe there's a new season of that, but there's lots of Star Wars stuff coming out, apparently, which I'm very excited about. With the Jedi, y'all know this, maybe you don't, maybe you hate Star Wars. You're welcome here, too. There's a Jedi and a younger Jedi. There's this apprentice and, there's this apprentice and Jedi and, um, relationship there always is. You see this in another, this is one of my favorite, this is like, a, you know, The Last Dance, um, Tiger King, maybe Twin Peaks is this really terrible show that I love, you should not watch. And then there's this other documentary that I was all about in COVID times, Chef's Table, but specifically the barbecue edition. So good, y'all watch it. Here's what you have in, docu- in the, the Chef's Table barbecue. You have this. Younger pit masters who own restaurants now who learned the craft from older, wiser, more experienced pitmasters. Every single episode has this. It's so predictable and actually really beautiful. So here are a couple of folks. You have Tootsie Tominets in the whole country of Texas. Yes, Tootsie. Wonderful, legendary name. She learned from someone older. Lennox Hasty in Sydney, Australia. Fascinating episode. He learned from someone older as well. And then Rodney Scott in, Bar- in Charleston, if you've ever been to that place. Um, he learned from his dad, and actually a huge part of the episode, if you've seen it, is him training his son. Hands-on, repetitious, mundane, learn, hands-on learning from a master. That's how they became skilled in the art of barbecue. And as we follow Jesus, we are doing hands-on training in the skill and the art of godliness, where the fruit of the Spirit start popping up all over the place in our lives as we just like show up and do this like thing called the Christian life that oftentimes is a grind, but we're following the master who's committed to our growth, who's committed to our development, right? In these skills, we're apprenticed by him. He's our guide. We don't guide ourselves on our own terms. I, I, I'm done with our points. I'm going to land the plane with this, okay? 
I hope that you see, as we started, like, I don't know how chaotic life feels for you. A lot of y'all I do know because you tell me. I, but I don't, I don't want to act like I know where everyone is exactly and, like, the specificities of, like, how chaotic things have been for you and even just this semester and how unpredictable they are on and off campus. Um, I just, I hope that you've gotten like a glimpse in Psalm 125 that otherworldly stability is actually available to you and to me. It's available. And that stability involves childlike trust in God, being protected and guarded by God, and he's your guide, guided by God. Five, five short verses, so much to chew on. Lots of ways to apply this. I'll, I'm going to read something to you in a second, and we're going to be done. But by way of kind of intro into that, I just want to say in person to you instead of over Zoom that Jesus in the flesh, he himself is the stability that you and I most want. I just, I've said that in all, all kinds of other ways in the sermon. I just want to say that very plainly. Jesus Christ is the stability that you want and that I want. He's not going to change. I return to this. So y'all probably know, maybe you don't. So catechisms in church history are really important. Let me nerd out for a second. Catechisms have been in Christian denominations all over the place for centuries. And it's a way to train the mind and the heart of the great Christian truths in the scriptures. And for confirmation and church membership, maybe you had to learn some of those by heart and recite them to elders and scary pastors like me or whatever. And what ends up happening over time is you memorize them. And you, maybe you memorize them just like maybe you've memorized other passages of Scripture. And when life happens, they're on your heart. I want to read you a catechism question from the Heidelberg Catechism and the answer to it, that is really near and dear to me, and I want you to think about the never-ending, changing nature of Jesus and his love. Okay, here's the question. What is your only comfort in life and in death? Here's the answer. That I am not my own, but belong body and soul in life and in death to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. That he has paid fully for all my sins with his precious blood and that he has set me free from the tyranny of the devil. He also watches over me in such a way that not a hair can fall from my head without the will of my Father in heaven. In fact, all things must work together for my salvation because I belong to Jesus and by his Holy Spirit, he assures me of eternal life and makes me wholeheartedly willing and ready from now on to live for him. I'm going to repeat the first part. What's your only comfort in life and death? That I am not my own, but I belong to Jesus Christ. If you have a speck of faith you're stable. I don't know if you feel stable. You probably don't. I don't. You're stable. And you're on a stable road. The only reason you are 
is for one reason and one reason alone. You belong to Jesus. You belong to Jesus. You are his and he is yours. Now, if you do call yourself a Christian or maybe you don't, you don't know where you stand. Maybe you're just in like a season of COVID has done a number on me and I, I, Matt, I've been in it and I'm out of routine spiritually. Zoom church is Zoom church and uh, Zoom large group is Zoom large group and I'm out of routine. I'm bored spiritually. Well, first I'd say take heart. Welcome to the club. Everybody is. That's the first thing. Second thing I would say, if you don't know where you are spiritually, that I want you to know that Jesus not only is the stability, according to the scriptures, that you most long for, but he, like, longs to give it to you and longs to be that for you. Why not try it? Try it on. Learn from him. And I would just ask, what do you have to lose? Let me pray for us.